There we go. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I appreciate Jeff's song service and everybody else who's helped out with the service so far this morning. I want to talk this morning about the creation account in Genesis. So if you want to turn to the first few chapters of that, that'll be kind of our main passage. But we're not going to be focusing in on specific details. What I want us to kind of do this morning is take sort of a uh, kind of zoom out and take sort of a 30,000-foot view uh, of this story, and specifically the foundational values uh, that it communicates to us. You know, it's important for us to look into these sorts of things uh, and think about it, because I think sometimes we, we focus so much on the specific stories or specific passages or specific details, and we don't really think about kind of the, uh, the larger picture and what the impression of this is. So, a lot of times, people don't really think about this particular issue. Uh, this, you know, other than, well, that's a nice thing to teach the kids at VBS or what, you know, a, a story for that. I don't think sometimes as adults we really stop and think about the implications and the importance of these sorts of uh, this creation account for us. So, I want us to think about a couple of different reasons right now uh, why this is important. First of all, factually speaking, the Genesis account is the foundation of how what is came to be. And any kind of, uh, uh, you know, investigation or understanding of science or anything like that needs to take into account the fact that, you know, where did all of this come from? If we really want to understand the world around us and how it works, we need to spend some time thinking about the basis of the structure and order that we see in the creation around us now. But more particularly, the uh, creation account is important symbolically because, and I don't mean that it is symbolic, you know, but I am saying there are values and ideas behind the story that we need to understand and implement in our lives. So, you know, the anthropologists that study human society and human cultures, uh, they refer to these creation accounts as cosmogonic myths. And myth is just a broad term. It, you know, it may mean something or may not. And I, a few years ago, I kind of went through and I did a study of the creation accounts from a lot of different cultures, different times, different places uh, over time. And it's hard to find common threads on any of them. They, they have a lot of different directions, a lot of different origin stories, lots of different cultures have these ideas of, of where things came from. Uh, but if you look at the story of a culture as far as where they believe the world came from, you can see how the values and ideas of that culture later on are shaped by that and how it's, it forms the foundation of those types of beliefs. Not only that, but we're taught in the Bible, and we understand, we've seen this in human behavior, that actions follow belief. So when we think a certain way, when we get into a certain habit or a certain pattern of thought, that's going to shape our actions. You know, if we think a certain thing is possible, we're going to consider that option when we live our lives. If we think a certain thing is impossible, we're going to kind of tune it out and we're going to miss options as we go uh, along our daily walks. There are several scriptures that address this issue. Uh, we're probably all familiar with the, the proverb 23.7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, then Jesus expounded on this even more in the Sermon on the Mount, 
And he talks about how the things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. Because he was being asked about you know, whether you should wash or not when you, when you eat a thing on these ritual things. But he says it's not important what you're doing with the outside of your body so much as it is what is in your heart and what's in your mind. What are your thoughts? And so he says out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Thoughts, and then right after that is murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, actions. So your thoughts lead immediately to your actions. And Jesus recognized that, and he was trying to teach his disciples and us about that. And then it's elaborated even more. Paul talks a little bit in Philippians 4. It's not just about avoiding the bad thoughts either. It's important to train our mind and train our thoughts into good patterns as well so that we are actively seeking the good. And Paul talks in Philippians 4, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and any praise, think on these things. So the scripture tells us and explains to us about the importance of positive thinking, and not just in terms of you know, motivational sense, but thinking on good things and thinking on true things. Because if your thoughts are not based upon truth, your actions are going to be warped and your actions are not going to be accurate either. So it's important as we think about these things to remember the think about the Genesis account not just as factual information, not just as uh, a story to kind of think about and, and tell some things, but think about the foundational values that it presents to us. So I've highlighted a few of those as we go through the account, and I want us to look at that. Of course, if we start with the very beginning, uh, Genesis chapter 1, 1, it talks about, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's the beginning of everything that is. And so we get a lot of lessons from this. And if we think about this thing, we can really kind of meditate upon that fact. It shapes our worldview again. So first off, God is eternal. God's infinite. And creation is not. Now, that can be hard for us as human beings to swallow sometimes. You know, especially we look at the the space telescopes that we have now that can view the farthest reaches of the universe. And we look through those things and and see these amazing uh, cosmic expanses. And we think, that is so huge. That is so amazing. That's infinite. But it's not. However many billions of light years... We may try to look away from the earth. That's still a measurement. There's still a limitation on that. It's still space. And the Bible actually teaches us, again, you know, I'm sure they probably didn't think about this back in the day when this was written, when they were first reading this for the first few eons. But now, modern science is looking at this and realizing, okay, there are limitations to space and time and matter and energy. Those things had a beginning. You know, and so... The Bible teaches us that from the very beginning. God started these things. All of these things came from someplace, and they cannot be dependent upon. They're they're going to eventually pass away. If they had a beginning, they're going to have an end. The only thing that lasts, that was there before and is going to be there after, is God himself. So, John chapter 1, verse 3, talks a little bit about this. He says, all things were made by him. And in this case, he's speaking of Jesus specifically, but Jesus in his divinity as God. And without him was not anything made that was made. These things have a beginning. They have to have come from somewhere. Matthew 6 then kind of elaborates on this. So what what does this mean for us in daily life? 
If we understand the concept that material things are limited, material things are temporary, and they're going to pass away, what does this mean for us in terms of how we live? Well, Jesus tells us, Matthew 6, lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, nor where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Again, whatever we try to invest our time on here on earth, if we're chasing after material things, those are going to pass away. Those are not going to be an eternal foundation uh, to give us life. You know, you have people that think, I'm going to build up wealth. Well, that's fine. You can build up all the material wealth you want, but your life's going to end. And at the end of time, that's not going to do you any good. Jesus told the parable about the, the rich fool who built up his barns because he'd had a great harvest, and he thought, I'm going to take it easy and retire, and died the next day. Because that wealth is not going to save you. It's not going to give you life. We have people that think, I'm going to do something that I'm going to be memorable for. I'm going to build these huge monuments. I'm going to build uh, great historical accomplishments. And that's fine. And that may live a few years after you. And people may remember you down the line. But eventually, those things fade away too. They're not going to be remembered forever. Times change. Histories become, you know, background and, and are not as relevant to people. And even if they were to go on farther, eventually all of this is going to pass away. You know, if you want to take the really long view, one of these days the sun's going to go supernova and destroy the world and everything's going to be gone. So it's not going to last forever. And we need to understand that. But more particularly in that last verse, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, ties it back into what we talked about before. When you think about a particular thing, your actions are going to follow on that. What's important to you? Is it the physical things of this life? Is it accumulating treasure for yourself or, or doing you know, material gatherings or things like that? Or are you focused on something bigger? Are you something of something eternal and something that's actually going to give you life? So it's important for us to keep that concept in mind. God is eternal and infinite. And the creation, however impressive it may be, is not. We sing the song, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Whatever awe and whatever majesty we may see in creation, we need to understand that's just a shadow. It's just a reflection of the glory of God that created it in the first place. Another lesson that we can get that's sort of a foundational value from Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 talks about the progression of creation. And it establishes each of these different stages in it. And, again, this is important, kind of going back to the the factual foundation of this. If you want to understand how the physical world works, you have to understand how the physical world came into being. It's it's really hard to do that if you've got this kind of different uh, background principle. And science actually understands this. Most of our modern science that we have today is based upon Christian study. It came about from... Christians that wanted to learn about the world that God had created. And they wanted to learn about God through studying his creation. You hear about Copernicus, Galileo, Newton, uh, all of these famous figures of science from back in the day. They were generally doing that from an idea that I want to understand God's creation. They were Christians and they wanted to understand 
God through his creation. So if you really want to understand God's creation, that's where you look. Uh, there's even a, a, a occasions where scientists have studied the scripture and, and found things based upon the study of the scripture. One, one great example is the idea of ocean currents. And the person who discovered those was going through and was reading, I think in Psalms where it talks about the paths of the sea. And he thought, that's strange, what are the paths of the sea? And so he starts looking into the ocean and he realizes, oh yeah, the water in the ocean actually follows specific paths. It follows particular patterns, and so the discovery of ocean currents was made. The Bible itself, being truth, is not just a spiritual truth. It's not just a, okay, good ideas and, and I, you know, values that we want to have, but it actually gives us truth about the physical world that we can then use to further study it. And, you know, the funny thing about this is even people who want to use materialism and say, okay, they don't want to believe in God, atheists that want to try to reject that, they still have to have some way to explain this, and they can't. Where did the universe come from if there is no God? Well, they kind of want to kick that one. That's an awkward question for them because they don't want to have to explain that. Um, but they look at it, and if you think about when they tell you the story of how things supposedly evolved, it really kind of follows exactly what Genesis' account is as well. God first creates the, you know, separates the land from the sea, and then first he, you know, some vegetation starts to appear on the land. And then the creatures in the sea come about first. And then the creatures on the land come after that. Which is exactly the kind of account that the evolutionists are still going to tell you the same thing. Well, there was land and sea, and life started at the sea, and then it came out into the land. And they don't even realize it, I think, sometimes when they do that. The, the irony that they're really just tracking the same account that was given in, in Genesis. But the other thing about this is as we look at creation... Uh, we need to understand the order that it presents to us. And hopefully, as we do that, it's going to generate some gratitude in our hearts. Because we look around and we realize that God has created this amazing system. It's so intricate from, from the stars all the way down to the microcosm, microbiomes and, and you know, bacteria and things like that. All of that was part of a system that God designed really for us as human beings. He put all of this in place so that we would be able to be, have a life and be sustained here in this perfect little place. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 17 talks about this. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow nor turning. We can rely upon the systems God has put in place, the seasons progressing as they do, because he's put them in place for us. We can rely upon having life and having light and having time and breath. These very things that we kind of take for granted because they're so general and they're so with us all the time. And yet we need to remember, and Genesis reminds us, those all come from God. And James tells us even more so, those all come from God. On this topic, I'll recommend to you the, uh, this book, The Privileged Planet, that's been written by uh, some authors. And it talks about the position of Earth relative to the universe, relative to the cosmos, you know, if we weren't exactly in our particular orbit around a sun with our particular strength, and if we didn't have exactly the particular uh, environmental factors that we have on our, on our Earth with water and the atmosphere that we have and these things like that, 
life couldn't exist. And they go into details about the what science, you know, what the, the atheists are going to call coincidence, but just this unbelievably statistically impossible coincidence of all the factors that have to intersect just so in order for us to be here, in order for this planet to support life. And going back to Genesis, if you realize where this comes from and you realize that there is a creator who created all this for us and for this particular purpose, it's not as much of an amazing, it's not as much of, a, a, of an unsolvable riddle. We, you know, we see where it comes from and we can follow that. But when we do that, we need to, again, recognize God as being the source of that and all good things. And it hopefully will engender the proper gratitude and attitude in our hearts towards God as we think about it. Amen. Another lesson I want us to think from, about from Genesis is that human beings are special and a unique creation. I'm sorry the type's really small on this. I had a lot of info I tried to pack into it. But if you go through the Genesis account, he creates the animals, and then at the end of that process, he creates man. And he doesn't just create man. He shapes man specifically. He forms him out of the dust, and then he breathes his own life into him. He breathes the, the breath of God into man and gives us a divine soul. Man's not just one of the animals. Man's not just the, the end, current end of a process. Man is a special creation created in the image of God for specific purposes. So if you look at, again, the materialistic evolutionists, the people that say, well, life just kind of happened on its own, and you know, it's this random processes that happen to get us where we are today, human beings are nothing special. We just happen to be the the current end of a random accidental process, and according to evolution, they're going to tell you, well, something better is going to come along eventually, and it's going to displace us, and we're really not that important. We're just one of the animals. We just happen to be the one that's on top of the food chain at the moment. Well, Genesis teaches us differently. Genesis says human beings were created. Not only were we created, but we were specially created. We were not just part of creation, but we are the pinnacle and the completion of creation. Remember, as God's going through and creation, cre- creating each step, it says God looked at what he had created, and it was good. He looked at the stars. They were good. He looked at the creatures of the sea, and they were good. He looked at the uh, plants, and they were good. But then at the very end, after he creates man, then he looked at it, and it was very good. Because without human beings... The rest of creation really doesn't have a purpose. It really doesn't have a uh, final end. You know, it, it's just sort of there functioning for whatever reason. But only human beings have the capacity to reflect God's will and to further God's will in the creation. And so that is the blessing that we have from that. Human life is not just special and created, but because it's special and created, it has inherent value. It's created in the image of God with a divine, eternal soul. If you look at human beings as just being another animal, then it doesn't really matter what you do to them. Because you have things like, uh, you know, survival of the fittest. <laughs> you have these attitudes that basically say, you know what? We're, we're, we're all this competition. It's just competition for survival. And if I can take you out in some way, if I can oppress you and keep you down or control you in some way, that's good for me. Because that just makes me stronger. That means that I'm the more fit to survive. It's a very dangerous mindset. But 
if we look at this and we say human beings, each human being, is created in the image of God and has a divine soul, that person needs to be treasured and valued. Life needs to be treasured and valued. It's not to be taken without thought. It's not to be carelessly eliminated or, or you know, expended because of convenience. We need to recognize human beings as being valuable and important. Human beings are to help and look out for each other. Another story we get from Genesis is that we are created as communal beings. God created man, and then when he looked at him, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. We are intended to be social beings, to interact with each other. And so he looked through the animals, and the animals weren't adequate, and so God created woman out of man to be a specific companion for him. And again, this is a foundational value of the importance between the relationship of the sexes, male versus female. If you look at this as just sort of, again, being competition, well, whichever sex is stronger, you know, it's all about, you know, advancing your will on the other, and you don't have this idea of the sexes having an important relationship to each other that we get in Genesis. So we need to go back to that. Whenever people start trying to talk about, um, you know, conflicts between male and female, it tends to be because they don't have this sort of a foundation that teaches that male and female were each created specifically for specific purposes, but to complement and work together with each other. And we lose that when we don't have that value. Psalm 8, verses 3 through 8, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou... That thou uh, visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, thou hast crowned him with glory and honor, thou madest him to have dominion over the earth of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet, all, sh- all sheep and oxen, yea, even the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. After God created human beings, he said, okay, Adam, I'm putting you in the garden. And I've given you the garden. It's going to have fruit-bearing trees and things that you can live on. It's going to be able to sustain you. But you still have a purpose. You were there to be the steward and the caretaker of God's creation. And sometimes we forget this. We think, well, okay, it's all about human beings. Yes, but human beings were given a specific system from God. And we need to value the creation. And we need to value the environment as part of that gift from him. It's like, you know, you give your kid a toy, and it's a special, wonderful toy, and they don't value it, they're going to break it. And then they don't get to play with that toy anymore. Well, we don't want to be that. We want to take what we have been given by the Father, and we want to take that gift and treasure it and use it and develop it the way that God had intended us to, to, again, further the good of humanity, which he has put here as well. And we think about that sometimes, that we can get this attitude like work is a dirty word. You know, it's a shame that we have to do all these things. We have to go out there and work. Well, work ethic has a very strong foundation in Christianity, and it goes back to Genesis. We recognize that God gave us duties. God expects us to, you know, it's not just here, hey, here's some gifts, and you get to enjoy them freely. He has a, 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 a role for us. He has duties and things which he expects us to do. It's part of our purpose and part of the way that he has... Uh, shaped not only the world, but us to be a part of it. 
So when we look at, again, the creation account, we think about how God has created human beings in a special role. And all of these things, the the work ethic, the social ethic, the uh, interpersonal ethic, all of these things that we have, they come right back to this Genesis story. And if you try to abandon the Genesis account, you're going to lose all of these as an important foundation. And when we look around in our society today, we kind of see how things unravel. A lot of that's because we have abandoned these values that were previously the foundation of our society. So, why is this important to us today? Sometimes we think, well, okay, you know what? We live in a Christian society. Uh, it can be very easy as Christians to kind of put ourselves in a little bit of a bubble. You know, we can surround ourselves with other Christians, and we can make sure even our online contacts is just other Christians, and we can make it where we don't really uh, interact with people who don't share these values. But we need to be ready, because sooner or later, no matter how much you try to isolate yourself, you are going to come into contact with people who don't share these values. We're warned of this in, in Scripture. First uh, Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reasons for the hope that you have. It may be students, when they head off to school, they're going to encounter other students that don't believe these types of things. It may be when you go to work. It may just be going to the grocery store. You know, wherever it may be, you're going to run across people that don't have this background. And without this background, they may not share those values and they may not share these uh, principles. So we, as Christians, need to be prepared to talk to them, not only about you know, the detailed stuff and tell you specific stories, but how does this influence the values? What are the foundational values that we need to try to live according to? First uh, Peter chapter 5 says, Be alert and of sober mind, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that's very true. We see see this in the devious, (laughs) the devious erosion of our values in our society. You know, you take out the Bible and you remove the Bible from society, you remove all the values and ethics that the Bible is the foundation of, and that society is going to crumble without something to shore it up like that. And yet, for a long time, I think Christians kind of thought, well, that doesn't really concern us. You know, these, these scientific ideas, uh, Darwinism, evolution, things like that, that that's not really going to cause any kind of problem. Yeah, that's an academic thing. But if we really look at it, you, you can start to see how those types of ideas have influenced and shaped the morals of our society. Another book I'll recommend to you is really short is The Darwin's Corrosive Idea. And this is available from the Discovery Institute. It's just a short little, uh, almost pamphlet that they did. But it kind of illustrates some of the specific areas in which evolution has caused and, and, and unraveled the social morals that our found society used to be based upon. Racism, sexism, um, you know, materialism, a lot of these things that, a lot of these isms <laughs> that are causing problems in the world today and that people are, are whining about is because of evolution. It, it, it all affects all of you know this idea that there is no God and God has not created us to be anything special. There's just survival of the fittest is going to create these types of attitudes. All of those are strongly based on this type of an idea. So you may hear people that want to try to criticize Christianity. 
And they want to try to say, oh, well, Christianity is responsible for, you know, slavery or things like that, and it's tied to it. But if you get the truth right, it's actually the other way around. Uh, you know, things like slavery, for example, it was the Christians that started the abolitionist movements for the most part. Um, you know, it was the Christians who actually said, hey, these are human beings. We need to get beyond that. And this goes all the way back to the, the very beginning in, of the church. You know, one of the first things that the church overcame was the divisions within ancient society. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. Those divisions which had separated people and they said, okay, you're not as good as me because you don't belong to my class or you don't belong to my race or you don't belong to my country or who, whatever the division might be. Christ says, you're all part of the church. You're all part of my body now. And if you're in me, that's the only connection uh, that is going to, that connection is going to override all of these other divisions that human beings tended to try to see and create for themselves. So we want to be mindful of these things and be prepared to preach these values to those around us and understand that they're not always going to have them, uh, but be prepared to show them why God's plan is really the best plan because that's what it comes down to. God has created our world, not just physically, but ethically, to work in a certain way. Human society to work based upon certain values. And if you don't follow the instruction books, you're not going to get the right results out of the system that God has given to you. There's one final lesson that I think we need to keep in mind that the Genesis accounts address this as well. Humanity is fallen and creation is broken. You go to chapter, Genesis chapter 3, it tells the story of the first sin and the fall of man. And we realize that this perfect system, this perfect creation that God made and entrusted to us, we dropped the ball. We have not followed the plan that God put in place for us. And each of us has failed that in some way. And because of that, there's all kinds of consequences that come about. A lot of the bad things really I'll say all the bad things, that we see in creation and that we see in society these days, it's because human beings have sinned. And I'm not saying there's a direct one-for-one correlation that, you know, bad things happen to bad people because, you know, people, they did bad things. But bad people do bad things. People who reject God's values do things that hurt other people. And they don't understand the system that God has put in place for our support. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all upon all of them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Genesis reminds us also that we are fallen, we are separated from God, which brings up the automatic question, how do we get back to God? And there's only one way back to God, and that's through Christ. But God, as soon as that sin happened, as soon as that fall happened, he realized we're going to be prepared. Remember the, uh, the very initial 
punishment when he says, okay, man, I'm going to lay out your punishment. And he cursed the earth. You're going to have to work it harder. He cursed the, uh, the woman because, you know, here's the things you're going to suffer from. He cursed the man. Here's the things you're going to have to deal with. But he says, one of these days, one of the children of the woman will arise that will strike the serpent's head and destroy him. And that is what we have in Christ. Christ eventually came and fulfilled that prophecy. And he destroyed sin and he destroyed death. And through him, we have that option. So let us remember uh, the stories and the values that we have of Genesis. If you're in that position and you have not yet found Christ, you have not come to him and given your life to him, uh, you have that opportunity now. You can come and we'd be happy to study with you and put on Christ in baptism if you need to. Uh, If you are struggling with any other issues, if there's anything that we can uh, support you with in prayer, we want to invite you to come forward as we do that, as we stand and sing our final song. Christ will meet you there. He intercedes for